Judges chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Judges chapter 3. It is said, and I don't know how they would actually know this, but it is said that the worst creature you could ask to describe water would be a fish. And the theory goes that they are so engulfed in water that they can't, they don't even know. It's like, it'd be like us describing air or atmosphere. I think the only ones who could really describe it well would be astronauts who uh, know that it is a, uh, you know, a, a thin metal wall that stands between them and a tremendous vacuum that would kill them instantly. In life, we are often submersed in culture, in spirits, in attitudes of different uh, family, maybe dominions and different things that we don't even recognize anymore because we become so familiar with it. We know that in areas there are ruling spirits. Daniel chapter 10 verse 13, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Asia, uh, of Persia rather, blocked my way. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel. 21 days, the spirit prince of an area resisted him. There are times where there are spirits that are resisting. It says Michael came and helped him. And, uh, and I left him there with the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, you can look into all of that scripture and come up with all sorts of things. One man did, wrote a whole book series based on that scripture alone. And uh, it was very popular back in the 90s and uh, had its moments and such. I don't know how accurate it was, but it was uh, at least entertaining reading. There are... Those kinds of things that grasp a hold, whether they are in families, in areas, in uh, cities, nations, continents, whatever it may be, that can lay hold of people that they can't even recognize what's going on anymore. They've just learned to live with it. It's just the way it is. In the text we're going to read, we're going to read one verse of Scripture of a very interesting man. He's only given just two verses of Scripture in all the Bible. Shamgar. And as we read about him, he's a very interesting man to understand. Because he finally had some noble discontentment. He finally said... No more. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 11 verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. So this tells us there's a conflict in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear that there's a conflict. There's going to be spiritual conflict that we have to address. And this man understood that. So I want to talk to you about Shamgar, 
this evening. It says in verse 31, after Ehud, Shamgar the son of Anath rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. We read one other scripture about him. That's all we get about him. A couple of things we can recognize very quickly, and I just want to just tell you about them real fast, is that Shamgar was not a Hebrew name. It was a Canaanite name. In fact, the name of his father, Anath, literally is the Canaanite god of fertility and war be some kind of mix of Venus and Mars from Greek culture. We secondly see that he wasn't very rich. If he was attacking people with an ox gold, this would have been a peasant's tool. This would not have been a wealthy man's tool. This would not have been in a somebody who came from the upper echelons of society. This would have been a very simple working man. And finally, we see that he was a man of courage. He actually had the audacity to take on the Philistines. I want to talk to you firstly about the day of discontentment. Or literally, the man who saw too much. Misguided discontentment permeates our society. Permeates our society. In our throwaway relationship society, divorce rates, 50%, dropping only because people are no longer getting married, they're simply living together. Tinder and other websites like this, it is said, especially to young men, have been very destructive. Because what it says is that I don't have to work on this relationship. As soon as there's problems, as soon as there's difficulty, as soon as there's demands, I can swipe right and find someone else. It's that easy. People leave companies, people leave churches, people leave all sorts of things because of this. People get all sorts of discontented and people want to be entertained. They want to be uh, uh, told they're always right. They want to be always reinforced. And if it's a difficult time, then, you know, I'm out of here. I was amazed. I left the United States in 2001, pre-9-11. Talk radio had become... A thing, but it was more of a social commentator when I left. People like Rush Limbaugh were more social commentators than political. But when I came back in 2015, I was absolutely amazed in how just 14 years, the discontentment, the absolute divide among party lines that the Republicans hate the Democrats, the Democrats hate the Republicans, that you see this in society, the discontentedness of of people, if anyone disagrees with them, oh God, help them. They have to be right. 
And see, this spirit takes over people's hearts and minds, even in the church. Paul writes to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretus has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Now here it's very interesting that these men have left Paul. Now why did they leave Paul? Maybe they were upset with Paul. Maybe they didn't like the prison. Maybe they didn't like the persecution they were dealing with. Notice they're not upset with sin that's destroying people's lives. They're not upset with people actually going to hell. That doesn't seem to bother them. What seems to really upset them is something, whatever it was, that caused them to forsake the Apostle Paul. This can happen to any one of us if we're not careful. People are so easily bored. They have to change pictures on televisions now within three seconds. Even news has to do this, or you don't keep people's attention. A straight-on shot of a news presenter that would last for a half an hour, that's no longer. You can't do that. Because it's not... By the way, you know, whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN or whoever, you know, you hate or love or whatever, just remember this. Their job is not to give you the news. Their job is to get ratings, to sell more advertisement, to get more money. You see this in people's lives, projects, and hobbies. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you ever started a project and then got bored and frustrated with it and just moved on, discontented with it? A hobby. I have, you know, I, I, some of you have seen my double-neck guitar. I know exactly why, how I got that and why I bought it. Some guy bought it and he put it under a bed and it probably sat there for three years. Because when I got it, all the hardware was corroded and on it and, and such. So I switched out all the hardware. I got a great deal on it. I was very happy with it, with the deal I got. But I can tell you, he bought it, probably very excited. And then it sat for years. Because that kind of corrosion doesn't come in a few weeks. It's absolutely disgusting. The gold had turned green. And if you touched it, it stayed on your fingers. Luke 15 11 through 13. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. And the younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And he wasted all his money in wild living. That word wasted could be translated prodigal living, wasteful living, reckless, extravagant. He's not happy on the farm. He's not happy with his father. He's discontented. Oh, it's got to be better. There's got to be greener pastures out there somewhere. There's got to be a better feeling. This is the lie of sin is that it, it's better. Oh, if you just come to see, oh, it'll be much better for you. The glitter of the world, the shiny objects that can grasp us, the bling. But what's very interesting is this man 
became discontented at the oppression of the enemy. The Philistines were the enemy of God. That's what they were. You read throughout the Bible, there is probably no greater. There's others, Assyria, the Syrians, the Moabites, and there's others that come into the land and create the Midianites, all sorts of problems. But their main foe was the Philistines. They were constantly causing problems for the people of Israel. Our text tells us that Shagar, he kills 600 of them with an ox goat. The only other verse we have is actually found in Deborah's song. Deborah is the only female judge in all of the Bible, in all of the uh, book of Judges. And when she and Barak have that victory, they sing a song. And in that song, they mention Shamgar. And they say in verse five, in verse six of chapter five, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the people avoided the main roads and the travelers stayed on winding paths. There was no free commerce. Everything was done under. Everything was done to avoid. You couldn't travel the main roads. You had to take long routes. It was very time consuming. It was very, it was a time of fear and frustration. I've talked to people who have lived in different places. Some of the Kenyan pastors uh, are friends of mine, Eric and, and Dennis and a number of others that pastor there. And, and when we see them at conference, I'll chat with them. And I was talking with Eric back uh, when there were political upheavals back uh, in, the day, in 2010. And he said it was very dangerous. You couldn't travel. The tribes were going at each other. Different uh, ethnic tribes were battling it out. It was really just based on political lines, based uh, on the tribes. One would be one political party and another tribe would be another political party. And it created such havoc and chaos and things were very dangerous. And he said what was very interesting with him, with Eric, is that his wife, he was from one tribe and his wife was from the other. And so he very wisely avoided the issue from the pulpit. People avoided the main roads. There were times where the Philistines would take away, and it's believed that in Shamar's, Shamgar's day, it was no different, that they would outlaw blacksmiths. You know, the Second Amendment to the Constitution was wisely written by our forefathers. Wisely. I've been in nations, and I've seen the results of those who people having guns and I know there's gun violence and all of that but it also keeps the government in check this is not new no blacksmiths meant no swords meant that their work was different this is the other reason he probably used an ox goad just a basic stick with a point on the end It was 
John Gill who said that the, uh, the Philistines who had invaded the land came in on a hostile manner into it. Rather, it seems that in Judges chapter 5 verse 6, which we just read, they entered as bandits, thieves and robbers who posted themselves on the highways to rob travelers as they passed. They were obligated to leave off traveling and go through bypaths, not in the public roads. This man has seemed to have had enough and been called a judge of Israel. As some among the Romans were called before their dictators delivered them, they were called the Gauls. The devil's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, the thief doesn't come. The thief comes for this purpose, to kill, to steal, and destroy. But my purpose is I've come to give a richer and more satisfying life. So let's think about Shamgar here, because it's very interesting. He simply does and uses what he has. Remember, he's not an Israelite. His father is named, he's a Canaanite. His father is named after a pagan god. But he comes to the conclusion, something has to be done to break this bondage. The bondage of drug addiction. The bondage of crime. The bondage of divorce. Fatherlessness. Immorality. I could go on and on. You got to use what you have. What did he have in his hand? He had an ox goad. Just a long stick with a point on it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. The word stronghold in this text is literally the word for a castle. In Lithuania, they have a castle. It's it's called Trakai. Trakai Castle was built when the Lithuanian and Polish glory days. They actually controlled from the Baltic to the Black Sea. They had a huge area of control. And so they built a summer castle in Krakow, Poland, and a winter ca- uh, summer, I'm sorry, a winter casco- castle in Krakow, Poland, and a summer castle in Trakai. What's very interesting about that is they built it on an island. You had to take, it was built on a lake, in the middle of a lake. It was well easily defended because of that. Even today when you're a tourist to go there, you have to go over a number of bridges just to walk into the castle. And it's open for, uh, for tourism and such. And someday I hope to bring a team there. And you can see it for yourself. In that day, that was highly defended. Now today it would be a sitting duck with mortars and missiles and all of that. But in, in, in 
the day it was built, it was well defended. They had those little windows that gave archers the ability to have a 45 degree range, but a very small window for an archer on the outside to try to get an arrow in there. So that it was easily defended. Catapults and such could be set up in the castle and be launching missiles and projectiles over the very easily and says that our weapons could take down those that were heavily fortified strongholds or let me put it in today's language our weapons could even take out Fort Knox could even take out the NORAD command center These are probably two of the most heavily defended areas of the United States. That would be the picture, the wording that Paul is using. Says it doesn't matter how heavily defended the devil thinks he has it. Our weapons are mightier. The problem is we look at an ox goat and go, not very confident I could take on NORAD with an ox goat. But think about our weapons. Prayer is an obvious weapon. Prayer changes things. What are your prayers? Are they for the deliverance of people? Or are they for God just to bless and vindicate you? What words do you speak? Words are powerful. Words set an atmosphere. Some people, it's always negative all the time. It's just bad. It's just, oh, and you're wondering why your discontentment is not aimed at the enemy. You're beginning to get upset with God. How about faith and living? Actions behind the world. The devil is the one who we should be looking to attack. The devil is the one. Sin is what we should be discontented with. Are you tired of seeing our nation ripped apart? Are you tired of talking to people that are so broken? Like, you just feel like Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men. You need a miracle, man. To be put back together again. Christians who do not feel that way towards the devil will be defeated by him. But those who take on the devil are going to win. It says he engages the enemy. He actually begins to fight he kills 600 now some would be happy if they killed two or three others might be happy if they killed two or three hundred it's 600 he's not giving up this was not something he was backing down from you know this to me if you want a picture of it in your mind is a modern day rambo You know, he's the one guy who's, you know, 
First of all, you know, I don't care how strong you are, you can't hold a 50 caliber machine gun and shoot it. They usually mount these things with many bolts into solid ground. The, the recoil from them would just send you into next week. So the movie's fake and all that, but the thought of that lone Rambo, it was actually on, my son was telling me that in marine lore, and maybe Aiden or maybe Chuck, you know this, but on the island of Midway, which I'm going to talk about that battle in just a few minutes, one man was left in his platoon. He's running around holding off the Japanese single-handedly. He's, he's burned his hands because he's firing guns constantly and they're overheating and he's just grabbing another one. So many of his comrades had been taken out, wiped out. Fought and fought valiantly. Taking on the enemy. He takes on the Philistines where they are. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. Isaiah 28, 5 and 6. At the last, the Lord of heaven's armies will himself be Israel's glorious crown. And he will be the pride and joy of the remnant of his people. He will give long, uh, give a longing for justice to their judges. He will give great color, courage to the warriors who stand at the gates. Now, it was Adam, uh, Albert Barnes who said of this, and the strength for those who, in the King James says, turn the battle to the gates. That is, those very gates of the enemy, not only those who repel the foe from their own city, but who drive them even to the gates of their own city and then besiege it from there. The picture there is no, it's nothing will do but complete victory. Shagiar says, no more. Shem, Shamgar says, no more. We're taking on the, uh, these Philistines are out of here. Devil, you're not going to be here any longer. This is referred to, Isaiah's prophecy refers to 2 Samuel eleven twenty three, and the enemy came out of, uh, came against us in the open field, he said, and we chased them back to the city gates. That's the picture of it. And don't stop. One or two is insufficient enough. I'm going to take it. The kingdom of God suffers violence. Violent, forcefully advancing. And people violently are attacking it. Finally, this man sees great victory. He sees one man, not an Israelite, not a man who was grazed and groomed on the promises of God. One man sees the victory and changes everything. The reason this is listed there is obviously this is the way it was and then it changed. That, he, that this is mentioned in the book of Judges because things changed. God is often just looking for a few. 
He doesn't need a lot. He's just looking for a few. Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31, even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. I looked for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the uh, stand in the gap in the wall that I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found none. So I'll pour out my fury upon them, consuming them with fire of my anger. I will heap upon the heads the full penalty of their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. God's looking for one man, one, to stand in the gap. Could you be that person for your family? For your co-workers? For your classmates? One. But you got to be discontented with a noble discontentment. Are you tired of the way the devil's had reign in your family? Family curses unbroken? Jeremiah 5, 1, run up and down in every street in Jerusalem, says the Lord. Look high and low, search throughout the city, if you can even find just one. Just an honest person, I will not destroy the city. What was his breaking point? What brought him to this? What brought... What, brought, what brings a man to this? In the book of Judges, we have a number of different ones. We have Gideon. He gets a visitation from God. Sometimes God will visit you. He'll make himself very real. He'll say, you know what? Sometimes it's being violated by the enemy and you just say, enough's enough. That was Samson. The Philistines did what? Okay, now we're at war. Sometimes it's just circumstances. That's Jabel. Just tired. Just it's the way it is. This is what we're reading. It's just like no, this this is not acceptable. For things to change, God is looking for people to rise up. I know I've used this before, but it's been a couple of years. St. Timelichus was a monk. And according to church historians, he's the one who tried to stop the gladiators' fights to the death in the Roman amphitheater. According to tradition... He actually ran out to stop them. He was stopped and stoned to death. But the emperor, Horaeus, Horaeus, or Horonesus, was so impressed with the monk's martyrdom that he issued a ban on gladiator fights, and they never did resume again 
One man said, enough's enough. Enough's enough. Think about the victory. It's not said that there was great victory, but it's implied here. That there was great victory, that he stopped the enemy, people could move around, no more stealing, no more frustration, they could actually begin to prosper. The Philistines were held at bay. Numbers 23, 23 and 24, this is a witch doctor prophesying over the children of Israel. He says, no curse can touch touch Jacob, no magic power against Israel. For it shall now be said of Jacob, what wonder God has done for Israel. And these people shall rise up like a lioness, like a majestic lion arousing itself. They refuse to rest until they have feasted on the prey, drinking the blood of the slaughter. It's a very vivid picture. It says they're not going to rest until they have total victory. That's what we need. That's the spirit we need. This quote actually comes from a number of movies that were made, Torah, 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 the original Pearl Harbor, the remake of Pearl Harbor in 2001, that, forgive me, I will brutalize his name, but Ishroku Yamamoto was an admiral of Japan. He's the one who says, I fear we have awoken a sleeping giant. It is said that he actually said that after the attack of Pearl Harbor. It is more likely, and historians believe, that he actually wrote it in his diary after the Battle of Midway. That he realized they didn't take out the Americans like they thought. They didn't make them cower like they thought. We've awoken a giant, a sleeping giant. Publicly, Hitler praised Japan for their attack. Privately, he was furious. He wanted to defeat the Soviet Union before he had the United States enter the war. He knew they were un- we were untouched. There was no way they could bomb our factories. There was no way they could... Uh, the only thing they could do was hinder our ships from getting over. And in 1943, they were doing a very good job of it. But by 44, the whole tide had turned of the war. May hell say when you arise, Oh no, I've awoken a sleeping giant. Where's your discontentment? We all have it. Is it at hell? Is it at the devil? Is it the brokenness of sin in our society? The drugs and the immorality and the fatherlessness and, the, and all the divorce and, and everything that creates the problems? Or is it at your husband or wife or your 
brother or sister or me or whatever. Where is it? If it's at hell, you'll have victory. If it's at something other than that, it may cost you your salvation. Noble discontentment is what we need. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this evening, you're not right with God. You're not saved, born again, or you're backslidden. But either way, you're not right with God. It comes down to the fact that you're simply not tired of your sin yet. If you've come to that place where you're tired of your sin, God can help you. He can do a miracle for you. You can be born again. You can be changed. You can have your life transformed by the love and the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. You can experience the love of God. God can forgive you if you're willing to turn from your sins. That's you. Slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. Changing the call then to Christians. Discontentment. We're all be discontent with something. It's kind of part of why we go forward, why we want to make more money. We want to make a better name. That's all part of the drive that we don't simply become contented with just the way things are. But beyond that, what's your main discontentment? Is it noble? Is it righteous? Is it Shagar's? Shamgar's? Or is it something else? Because it's critical. It'll determine your words, your prayers, your faith, your, your whole focus. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars. Sing a song, worship God, for I know my Redeemer lives. Worship His name, and give Him praise this evening. For I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end He will stand on the earth. And for I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end He will reign on the earth.
and I will stand with him all. Let's sing that chorus one more time. And for I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand with him all that day. And for I know that my Oh, let's give Him praise. Let's worship Him. Thank You, Lord. Father, Your grace, Your glory.